You're listening to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Care of You. I hope you enjoy the show. Riding in our silver saddles, we will be discussing Secret South, the third studio album by 16 Horsepower. It was produced by the band and released in September of 2000 on Razor and Tie Records in the U.S. Joining me today is a musician, teacher, and another wayfaring stranger here in Poland, Paul Preusser. Welcome back to the program, Paul. How you doing? Thanks a lot. It's great to be back. So it's fun. We did. Uh, you were uh, one of the people who did uh, both seasons one and two. We talked about uh, U two and Elliot Smith. The U two episode was pretty popular for a while. It was in my top ten. I think it just fell out today, but it could be back. So uh, <laughs> always fun talking because it's uh, it's nice talking with somebody who has um, a background in music. Because like I said, you are uh, you are a musician. We can talk about that in a little bit. And uh, sure. I think for the for season one, I found a recording from your college funk band and put it out on Twitter, and then. I didn't hear from you for a long time, so I thought maybe you were no longer talking to me. But uh, <laughs> I didn't even know you did that. Actually, yeah, yeah, found that. So was it Fun Fun Boy? What was it? Freak Boy Number Nine was Freak the Boy name nine. of the band. Yeah, it was it was interesting stuff. It was a good time. It was it was it was, it was a good time back then. <laughs> uh, so Paul, tell me, how did Sixteen Horsepower enter your life? Sixteen Horsepower entered my life. Uh, just from growing up in Denver and playing in a band at that time. When I was in college, I, I was in this band, Freak Boy Number no. 9, and so we were playing a lot in Denver. And so I was going out to hear a lot of live music, and I was really involved with that scene, and I was pretty interested in what was going on then. And at that time, I mean, there were a few bands that were really big in Denver. There was Big Head Todd and the Monsters. There was this funk band called the Psychedelic Zombies who were really great. Um, I would go and see them a lot. And then there was 16 Horsepower. And those were really kind of the three bands that were playing in Denver that were playing a lot. And they were always headlining shows. They were always the ones that, you know, once every month or once every couple months you would go and hear them or you could go and hear them play. I didn't go and hear them play for years, literally. I mean, it was probably four or five years that I saw their name just continue to pop up in the paper before I started to get interested. And then they had a show one night and I went out and the rest was history. I, w I was really hooked kind of after that first time I saw them live. And I probably saw them another two or three times after that. Then uh, I bought the first record, uh, Sackcloth and Acid. Uh, sorry, Sackcloth and Ashes. And that was really kind of my entrance into 16 Horsepower. What about for you? I mean, they're not really known as much outside Denver, at least I didn't think. So I'm curious to hear how you kind of got involved with them. Kind of a funny story. So I was at my favorite record store. So this would have been probably 2000. I had just gotten back. I had been living in North Carolina for a few months. I was staying with an ex-girlfriend. Long, goofy story. She was into a band called 16 Volt. Back in Tampa, and I'm going through the used CDs and you know, this album that we're going to be talking about, Secret South, has a pretty distinctive cover. You know, this gold field and uh, this bug on the on the front cover, this black beetle. And it's, it's very striking. I see the name of the band, and instead of reading 16 Horsepower, my brain just substituted 16 Volt, because this was a band that this girl I was dating was listening to. And I didn't recognize the cover, and I was like, oh, I wonder if she has that. And I just kind of look at it and I put it back and, and I go on my way. And then a couple of days later, I'm back in the record store and I see it again. Only this time I realized that it's not 16 volt, it's 16 horsepower. But still something about that cover made me want to look at it. And, and which I, was that Secret South or was that Sackcloth and Ashes? 
Secret South. Yeah. Okay. So Secret South was the first one I heard. And so I pick it up and I look at the back and I'm looking at the song titles and I see that they did a version of Wayfaring Stranger. Now, at the time I was listening to Johnny Cash, amongst a lot of other things, but he did a, a version of Wayfaring Stranger on, I think it was the second album that he did for American Recordings. And I loved that version. I loved his version of that song. And so I thought, oh, okay. So, and, and I knew it was an old folk traditional song, you know, it's a you know hundred year old song kind of thing. So I brought the CD because it was a UCD and they had listening stations. So you could listen to used discs before you bought them. I listened to like the first 30 seconds of the first song. I listened to the maybe first 30 seconds of their version of Wayfaring Stranger and immediately bought the CD and listened to it nonstop for a few months. Went back and bought anything I could find. So I ended up with basically their, their entire back catalog. The album that came out after this, I think was already out. So they had the live album called Horse, which is fantastic. Uh, and is, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a good one. So that's it. So it was basically because I had originally misread the CD, <laughs> uh, and then took a chance on it, and just immediately fell in love with this record. So one of those, you know, nobody tipped me off to it. Didn't read a good review of it. Didn't hear that they were opening for a band that I liked. And it, but it was strangely enough in the same vein of some things that I was listening to. Like I said, I was listening to Johnny Cash, and I was listening to Nick Cave, and I was listening to. Leonard Cohen and you know they uh, did another song. I think they've covered Leonard Cohen, and I know they they covered a so another traditional song that Leonard Cohen had done in the Partisan was basically in my wheelhouse. And I wonder if eventually somebody would have told me about it, but I ended up just sort of finding it on my own by happenstance. And did you ever have a chance to see them? No, unfortunately not. So I said I, I didn't get into them until this last record, and you know they put out another one after that, but I don't know that they ever came anywhere close to Tampa. Mm -hmm. Or and if they did, I didn't know about it, unfortunately, because it's you know just listening to Horse because I'm not a big live album guy. Like every once in a while, there's an album that's good, but I just yeah, you know, I like studio stuff. I, you know, there's a reason why you know there's you know 28 people who work on a record <laughs> you know, to right. make it great. So th there there are occasions, and Horse is one of those. Man, that's a that's a live record I've listened to the to a ton. And it just sounds like they put on a really good show, like a mesmerizing show. Wish I would have been able to see them because obviously they're no longer a band. Uh, and I know that the singer is now in a band called Woven Hand. I'm sure they're big in Europe. I'm sure. That, I, I don't know if they've come by this way or not, because you know how it is. If they're not in Poland, you know, they could be in Berlin and I'd never know about it unless I was following them on social media or something. Sure. Yeah. I didn't actually, I mean, when we started talking about doing this podcast together with with this specific record i kind of looked up what uh he was up to david eugene edwards was doing now since he was kind of really the the spine of that band and um i i just heard about woven hand from that so uh, that's not something that's been on my radar uh, and that's been on mine so i knew that he had the new band because i think i followed some you know maybe, you know through their website or whatever in the early 2000s and so when 16 horsepower kind of ran out of gas or whatever you want to say. And then he started that other thing. And my biggest problem with Woven Hand is that it spends too much time in the mellow side of what 16 horsepower was doing. And I liked it when they were, when they were cooking a little bit. Mm. So let's go ahead and get started with our track by track. So we'll take a look sure. here at uh, side one, song one, Clogger.
Man, I love everything about this song. I love everything about this song. Uh, that heavy bass intro that goes for just what one measure, and then all of the instruments just fall in on each other immediately. You get a good sense of the things that they're bringing to the table because you know there's acoustic guitar, there's banjo, and then the the drums, and sometimes they have some other uh, different kinds of percussion and old-fashioned instruments, and it just all comes in together. And this song really just rocks. I mean, it just, it, it's obviously got those folk elements and the country elements and whatnot, but this song just goes and it's a hell of an opener. And it really makes me wish they had a couple more songs like this, or at least at this tempo. Uh, you know, so I don't have much to say about the lyrics because most of his lyrics are Christian centric, um, yeah. like old, so. the whole Testament type things. You know, there's lots of, uh, allusions to you know biblical stuff and which I don't really have a problem with. I think if, I think actually if you were to just describe the band to me, I don't know if I would have ever listened to them. I'm glad I listened to them before I heard about them. Maybe so I don't have a lot to say about the lyrics, but I really like his voice. So he has that kind of gaunt and haunted voice oh, yeah. while, while yeah. still being you know just like full. You know this is a guy who's obviously spent a lot of time thinking about his spiritual self while also drinking a lot of whiskey, I have a feeling. So I'm, I'm not really going to have anything to say. There's times that, that I like the way he sings, but I don't have anything really to say about any of the lyrics with one exception. What did you think about this song? Well, I think first, I mean, I might just give a quick primer on them because I have a feeling that probably of, of all the people who listen to this podcast, 16 Horsepower is going to be one where a lot of people are saying, who? Yeah. <laughs> I've never, I've never, I've never heard of this band before. Like, who, who were they? What, what were they like? And I mean, this is—it's such a unique band. I mean, when I first saw them, I mean, that's sort of the thing. I mean, you've got this guy who basically plays a banjo, an acoustic guitar, a concertina, which is basically like a folk version of an accordion, or it's within the accordion family. You've got a. a an acoustic double bass, which is often bowed even. You have this influence of country music, but it's not really country. There's a pretty strong influence of like folk Americana music, but it's a lot more than that. There's this sort of gothic quality to it that's just really in some ways disturbing, actually. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. all of that comes together into this band. And then there's also sort of this Southern rock element, but not in the way the Almond Brothers play. I mean, it's not even close to that. So it's it's this really unique band and unique sound. And probably you either like it or you don't. I mean, I think that sort of when we talked about Elliot Smith in, in the first podcast we did together, you sort of like him or you don't. And and the way that in the way that Elliot Smith writes songs, I think uh, David Eugene Edwards writes as well. And that he kind of has his style and his way of approaching music. And, and with this band, I mean, the, these elements kind of all played into that. And so you're kind of either really into what he does or and, and what they do or you're not. I would agree with everything that you said about Clogger, that I think it's really an announcement type track and and it's really different i mean this is a heavier record than sackcloth and ashes i think probably as dark maybe sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes was a little bit darker but and and certainly i think sackcloth and ashes is a little bit more traditional so i think like the distorted guitar is a little more distorted here 
the way the drums are recorded on this record, uh, especially as we get into a couple other tracks on the record, are, are pretty heavy here, definitely much heavier than I think on their first record. But yeah, I think that I really like the guitar solo in this. It's simple, it's it's short, it's not really complicated, but I think it's a nice break. And there's not really a lot of guitar solos on this album. So I think that kind of stuck out a little bit for me. But yeah, I think that it's definitely like a pretty up-tempo and, and a pretty rocking introduction to a band that's not always known for doing that. Yeah, and I really wish they would have tapped into this part of what they do a little bit more. There's a couple of places here where, where you see it, and it's I'm going to be stealing one of my notes from later on, but since you already brought it up, one of the best descriptions I had heard of this band is uh, goth meets Southern Gothic. Yeah, I heard they, they coined the term like Gothic Americana. Yeah. Which so is that great. I love that, but yeah. So it, that does make sense. And it's got just that the slight, like the guitar can be just a little bit grungy. Like you feel a little bit of 90s in this record mm, uh, oh, without, yeah. it, without it being overwhelmingly so. Just, just a little bit of the approach. But yeah, it's a fantastic opener and it's going to be bringing us on to track two, the old traditional Wayfaring Stranger. I'm just a boy faring stranger Traveling through a world of woe Ain't no sickness, tall nor danger In that bright land to which I go I'm going there to see my father Said he'd meet me when I come I'm only going over Jordan what do you think about this one, Paul? Well, I, I really like the the banjo songs. I, I, I think there's there's really three on this record that are scattered out. There's Wafering Stranger, there's Praying Arm Lane, and then Strawfoot, which are sort of the three banjo-driven tunes on here. And I, I think it's interesting kind of looking at those and comparing them a little bit that there is this kind of real folkish aspect that the banjo brings to this song. The lyrics are very hymn-like, obviously. Uh, I'm only going over Jordan. I'm only going over home. Like many of these songs that, that deal with regret and redemption. I don't know if you knew that his grandfather, David Eugene Edwards, uh, was like a Nazarene fire and brimstone preacher. I'm sure I read something about that along the way, yeah. And so I think that a lot of that sort of works. I, I think that type of guilt and redemption works its way into his music a lot, probably in part from the way in which he was raised. What is your opinion about this track? I really love this song. And this is the song that convinced me to buy it. And like I said, I, I've heard several different bands do versions of this. It's an old traditional song. Like I said, Johnny Cash was the one that I knew. And I think the White Stripes have done a version of this and a few other people, or maybe I think Jack White did it for that Civil War movie that he was in. Mm. Uh, so I've heard a couple of different versions of this song. And uh, while I, I'm not a big old traditional music guy, this is one of those songs that if I hear somebody's covering it, I'm going to listen to it. And I really love their version of it. I love the the production choices that are done here uh, because like you said, this is uh, led by the banjo. Uh, it's got some acoustic guitar, but the way the production elements come in, it sounds like futuristic old timey music, almost like something you would have heard on, uh, what was that Joss Whedon show? The, the uh, set, in, set in the future in space, Firefly. Okay, so this is like something you know, you know, something you would have heard in Firefly. Just you know, if it was meant to 
be like folk music on a different planet, they would use this song uh, just because some of the production choices and uh, just the, the use of like echo and fade and uh, how the banjo feels like it's being played in the background. And then there's those spaces where it just sort of kind of stops and there's just like the tinkling of the guitar. And then mm. it kind of comes right back in and he, and he just sings, uh, you know, for like he's saving his life in this one. So, uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of this song and it sounds really different. And, you know, so Clogger, like I said, is just all, you know, uh, it's just out there. And then this one really pulls it back uh, almost immediately. So you get mm -hmm. a little bit of whiplash uh, from this one in the uh, the choices, how the, the album is laid out. And I think Wafering Stranger is probably a little bit more typical of what their music. I, I think Clogger is more of an exception. And, Unfortunately, and Stranger is probably more similar to some of a, a lot of their other work and what they're kind of known for, I think. And I still feel this one sounds different. So I think starting at track three, you get a better sense of what the band is actually all about. Because mm. uh, from there, the, there's not quite as many uh, differences in, in the production or in the style. I think that those first two, I think, you know, Clogger was chosen very specifically to be the first song that needs to be the first song, I think. Mm. Uh, and I think you could have put Weighing Faring Stranger almost anywhere else on the album and it still would have worked. But cho choosing to put it right there, it's, it's track two. And with it being so much slower and so much starker and uh, like you said, more banjo driven, uh, it was an interesting choice. I wonder if it would have worked maybe in track three, if you would have uh, given yourself just a little bit of space, but I still think it works. So speaking of track three, we're going to go ahead and move on there to Cinder Alley. Yet all the while beneath his banner you did stand, beneath the shadow of his wing, do you remember? Sorrow stands near and close at hand. Sorrow stands and in sorrow's hand. Those slicing violins that start is just great because they fade in. You know, you're not really sure it's because it's real quiet for a second, and mm. then there's just that, just the way the violin is played. And because you know the, the violin can be scary, or the violin can be beautiful or dramatic, and this is more. This is dramatic. This is psycho shower scene <laughs> coming <laughs> up uh, right, right from the beginning. Uh, like you said, a lot of what they do can be can be menacing, can be a little spooky, and and that's really something like spooky is just a, a feeling that I get throughout this record and through a lot of their catalog. You know, to be honest, and uh, so those violins start, and you got these just kind of little flanges of guitar, and once again, like here's where you really hear those biblical lyrics and his vocal stylings has that old timey preacher in the out west oh, yeah. you know he's oh, yeah. uh, he's he's preaching at you for sure this one you know it builds up a little bit and then like the guitar just really spills all over when you get to you know the the, the choruses and cuz one of the, sometimes they they have a thing where they don't always release the tension i think a couple of their shorter songs later on don't really go many places which mm -hmm. doesn't always need to sometimes i wish it would but uh Cinderella is definitely one where there is some movement. It does build and then crescendo and then build and crescendo and then and then fade out. What did you think about this one? Yeah, I love this song. I, I think you're I, I think well the chorus is just so slamming in this song, but to get to that point, and, and you already said it, I mean this idea of how the song builds, it's really like even 
for me, I mean, just kind of getting through the first verse as it builds, there's there's something like like there's there's another song too, and and a couple songs we're gonna be talking about uh, poor mouth, and that's also kind of this song that builds up, but not to the type of climax that Cinder Alley builds to, and so there's something. There's something, and and I'll take your word, menacing. That's in the air. There's something brewing here, and what's so cool about this song for me is that it really feels like it's building to something dark. That as as it starts to build, you kind of have this feeling that there's going to be a thunderstorm that's going to be pouring here in a second, and then it really just unleashes kind of all of, all of its fury on you. So yeah, I, I loved the song. I think it's also kind of a little bit unusual for what they're more known for, but I'm really into what they what they do and, and the preacher-esque nature of, of his singing. I'll mention a couple of things later about sort of specific lyric things and, and sentence construction or lyric construction. Uh, I marked a, a couple uh, tracks later on, but I, I do really like the way, like, sort of his lyrical sensibilities, I think, really add to, and, and the preacher-like sensibilities that he brings to it um, are really great additions. Yeah, so I think that's that really sets the tone for what they're doing. So even though, I think in with somebody with a different type of voice or without the same conviction, I don't know if that would work, at least not for me, but he makes this work throughout this whole, like I said, basically throughout their whole catalog. All right, then. So going on to track four, Burning Bush. See my tears, good father. Will they wash it away? All my dirt from your holy feet and all. I don't believe it work that way because you ask for nothing except to be by my side. What do you think about this one, Paul? Yeah, I like um, I like the piano in here. I like having the piano introduction. I feel like there's some synth-like strings that I'm not so into. It's either an effect on acoustic violins or uh, synthesized violins that I'm not so into. I think that this song is definitely in an appropriate place on the record because it's it's really one of the more ballad-like songs on the record and I feel like after after Cinder Alley it's kind of a release from that sort of in the same way that you mentioned the wafering stranger and maybe the role that that played just to sort of balance out the the record a little bit it's it's dark though burning bush is also a dark song and there's there's something you know kind of I don't know it it's it's so it's so hard to put your finger on 16 horsepower because it's you you get this idea that it's it's so visual, their music. I think. I mean, it, there's there's so much sensibility that kind of falls in the visual realm with them, and I feel like you know there is kind of like this Appalachian horror story that can be sort of concocted through their music. What was your opinion about it? So much of what you've already said are in my notes. <laughs> uh, I really love that lush piano really at the beginning. There, There is piano on this album, but not a ton. Right. And so when you feel it come in at the beginning, that's really nice. And something about the rhythms of this reminds me of, like in general, not of a specific one, but reminds me of an 80s ballad. And I can't put my finger on exactly why. And I feel like if that piano were more of the synths and that synth sound that you hear... 
uh, something about this I feel like could have been like a, a ballad on an ABC record or you know something like that. And I I can't put my finger on why. I think just mainly because I'm not a musician, but there's just something about that that I, I hear it stays with that same kind of low key menace, and it stays with that. You know, everything is sepia toned, and uh, even the title "Burning Bush." I mean, that's a, a clear biblical reference and. And it's it's well placed on the album. That's not one that I would put on a mixed disc for somebody, but it's well placed. And I think it's one of those. It's an album track, and it's one of those out songs that you need to keep you moving. Not everything can be a greatest hits, uh, and that's how I, I feel about this song. Like I like it, and I don't have a ton more to say about it because you, mm. you took all, you took all my notes, Paul. <laughs> Sorry, it happens. It happens. So we'll move on to track five, "Poor Mouth." I am hoarse with wild eyes, no deaths outstanding. My hands are yours, my brother. You can take my coat as well. My eyes are yours, sister, and my heart, and my heart in the I love that there's really space for all the instrumentation to breathe. Uh, there's a lot going on, and they they do some of those where they use kind of odd old timey instruments at times. Uh, and I yeah. can't always tell what's going on, but you know, there's a little bit of you know things like percussive instruments that I don't know the names of, and uh, or like the you know, just certain sounds going on in the background. But you really get a, a sense of the space for all of them. They're not just on top of each other. They all exist where they need to exist inside this song. You can tell just like the strum of the guitar and the really hard plucked bass would almost fit in like a David Lynch movie. Uh, they have some yeah. of that kind of creepy otherworldness. Like you hear some of the stuff and you expect to, to see a little person in a red suit talking backwards while driving mm-hmm. a convertible through the desert of California, you know, just something like, you know, you get all these things going on there. And of course, this is where the, uh, the title of the album comes from a line in this song. So there's no title track, but this is where he says the words Secret South. And it's it's really all, it's put together very well. This is a well, this feels like a well-built song and it's a really good one. I like it quite a bit. What about you? You had mentioned earlier that this is one you wanted to talk about, uh, I think, what, in regards to the to the banjo or I don't remember. This was wanted- in comparison to Cinder, Cinder Alley in, in terms of the way that it builds up a little bit. So I felt like there's this sort of brooding atmosphere of, of, Again, something brewing, but it's not quite as intense as in Cinder Alley. There's a couple of things here, though, that I think are, are really cool. I will say that there's one thing I didn't love about this song, which is in the second verse, there's a second voice that doubles uh, the vocal line. And I found that to be fairly distracting. I felt like there's a couple moments where it comes in and then it cuts out. And that was really cool. But then it just sort of stayed for the rest of the verse. And I felt like that was a little bit more distracting, that they could have just added a a little hint of that and then just gone with the voice, and that would have been just enough. So I I felt that that was was something that was added in the studio that was not helpful to the the overall construction of the song. I will say, though, that after the first chorus, at, at the very last beat of the chorus, there's this very short, distorted guitar line it's just like a few chords, and then there's this kind of uh, uh, like a Pixies, like uh, from the rock band the Pixies. There's this little guitar riff of just this little distorted guitar tremolo that that the guitar player does, 
and and then it just fades away and and it goes back and it continues to play the song but just that one little part sets up the end of the song then where after the second ver- after the second chorus then this distorted line comes back but then it stays till the end of the song and then it's pretty driving uh to the end and i really liked that and i felt like that coming in just after the first chorus just that little taste was sort of the perfect complement to introduce that line then at the end that it then later becomes something much more chekhov's guitar chord <laughs> okay so then moving on to track six silver saddle what do you think here paul yeah i think um again you've got this sort of piano like synth and there's some organ sounds here this this acoustic guitar it's sort of each of these introductions it seems to the song sort of depends on the instrumentation being used and i think that they were really trying to balance it with this record like you start with distorted guitar then you have banjo then you have the violins then you've got a piano intro here we've got you know a strummed acoustic guitar that it's more ballad like here again so again you've got this song that kind of kicks it up a little bit it kicks up some dust and then it sort of reverts back to a a little bit more ballad-like atmosphere here there's a couple of things with lyrics so so there's one line and in the chorus that says uh see my features show it but um the word see is added to the preceding line so that the first word of one line is actually sung uh or connected with a preceding line of the verse or of the chorus. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, generally, I, I don't know that this was my favorite song on the record, but I, I definitely liked it. What was your thoughts? This is where I have the goth meets Southern Gothic. I think mm-hmm. that while I didn't invent that line, I feel it really fits on this song. Uh, and you had mentioned about like the double-tracked vocals in the track before it. And they do that again here. And this is where, you know, they have the whispered vocals behind the sung vocals. And that's a thing that like metal bands would do all the time. Like you see the corn and a, mm. a, you know, a couple of bands like this. And here it's really effective and it's kind of creepy because it's just, if you're not listening in headphones, you may not even notice that that's what's going on, but there's something about it that it's just, it's got that sinister feel to it. I think this, the song feels pretty sinister in a couple of different ways, uh, especially those percussive elements. And this one drags a little bit, but without being draggy. So this mm-hmm. one moves slowly, but it doesn't feel like it's wasting your time or doesn't go on too long. It's not too terribly long. But this is one that it really doesn't have a payoff or a release. It really it gets to a moment and it never goes past that. And And here's one where I wish there was some kind of just something to just spill it over, whether whether it wasn't a big guitar chord or whether it was something interesting with the drums or whether it was just like a big vocal release. You don't really get that. And I've never listened to this album on vinyl, but this would be the last song on side one. And I just wish it was taking you out with something. But it's, it's a consistent mm. song. It's a, it's a good song. Uh, and I just feel like there's a missing a, a little bit of an element that could have made this a great song. I think, um, you know, in general, you know, there's a there's a vibe to 
their records and to their music in general that again i mean that i think that the the way that they ordered the songs on this record is good in terms of creating a balance for it but i mean they each i think each of the songs just because he's he's so interesting in in sort of the style that he's created and they've created that all of their songs kind of work because it's so specific that i mean it's really unique the 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 sounds that they've crafted and so as a result i mean that's why i said you kind of will probably either really like them or you just won't i mean if you're not into them in general you're just not going to be into them at all yeah i would i would agree with that it's it's a very it's very specific sound you know you may be able to find a song that somebody would like Maybe, you know, maybe somebody would like Wayfaring Stranger and not like anything else or Clogger and not like anything else. But for the most part, yeah, it's you can just sample almost any other song and it's either you're on board or you're not. Right. So that brings us to the end of side one of Secret South by 16 Horsepower on I Fucking Love This Record with my special guest, Paul Preusser. Paul, I know uh, we've talked before about uh, some of your old band stuff. So, Paul, are you still composing songs? I do. I, I've had kind of a hiatus for the past year. I uh, I changed jobs and I I started. Um, I actually um, uh, so I guess we probably haven't talked before, at least not publicly, about how we know each other. And so I, I met Derek when we were both teaching English at an ESL school, and English as a second language school in Wrocław, Poland. And Derek was also teaching at this private school called Ecola, uh, which is in Wrocław. And he was the English literature teacher there, and then he brought me in or recommended me for a job where I was teaching English to a, a different group. Many years later, amazingly, I have I now have the job that Derek had once had at that school. So I was teaching <laughs> English literature at this high school last year, which was something uh, that was completely new for me. And as a result, it required an immense amount of my time. So I decided that I would take the year off from writing and decided not to do anything new. But I'm really itching to get back to writing again and to sort of finding a balance to where I can still teach and still compose music. So I haven't been too active in the past year, but I hope that the following year is going to change all that. All right. Well, hopefully so. I know how much, uh, I know how much work that first year of working in the international baccalaureate program can be, especially when you're dealing with somebody else's syllabus initially, and then having to come up with your own and, it's a uh, it's a ton of work, and uh, hopefully hopefully the kids are treating you well and everything's going okay with that. Where did we meet? Did we meet at Yellow? Was that where we were? We working? met at Yellow School. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It was like ni- uh, when was it? Two thousand and seven, I think. It was it was some time ago. Yeah, two thousand six, two thousand seven, somewhere in there. I think you're you're here. What sixteen years? I think you're here one year longer. You've been here one year longer than me. Yeah, in August it'll about be sixteen. Right? You came in two thousand and four. Do I remember that correctly? That is correct. Okay, so let's go ahead and flip this bad boy over. Side two, song seven, Praying Arm Lane. Oh, my dream, come and take me quickly For the struggle, take me Yeah, lay me down Anyway, you choose Let the voices of our children
like I said, this is a, an album that I've never actually listened to on vinyl. I've always had this on CD or, you know, this last week listening to on streaming. And uh, the thought of this leading on uh, the second side is, is good. It starts with that banjo, mm -hmm. uh, which really brightens things up. The banjo can sound like anything it needs to sound like, obviously, but just the way it's played here, especially after, you know, Poor Mouth and Silver Saddle, which are both you know, pretty dark. This one lightens the mood just a little bit. It picks it up and it feels like a good place to start on, on side two. So that banjo comes out to start and then the full band comes together. And this one has a real drive to it that had really been missing from the last two tracks. So this one, this one's going somewhere. Uh, and there's a really cool vocal effect on his voice during what maybe the choruses where he was like, uh, you know, words fall from his deaf ears. And there, mm -hmm. there's a, you know, it doesn't, he doesn't do it the whole time, but just like this kind of cool uh, distorted on his voice that I think because it's not overused because it is just used in these specific places that really works. I really like the song. What did you think? Yeah. It's funny that you bring up the synthesized effect uh, in the chorus. I, I didn't love that. Actually, I felt like for me, it was like a little bit too much or if they wanted to add that effect, it could have been done a little more subtly uh, to be more effective. But I like the tune. You're, I, I agree with you that it's definitely more upbeat. It's sort of like a like a hoedown kind of down home Americana sort of vibe to it that I thought was was really nice in the song. I think there's an electric guitar that's used in the second half of the song, not really distorted, but it kind of helps to build the structure of the song that it gives it gives the tune a place to go there that I like. I, again, this is one of these banjo tunes. Uh, so along with Wafering Stranger and Strawfoot that are really banjo dominated. And so I think that in and of itself provides a, a certain vibe that's really sort of what a lot of 16 horsepower is all about. One of the things I hadn't quite noticed until you brought it up is that they really space things out where they don't have these bunches of, of banjo songs together or, but they, you know, the, one song leads off with piano, another one's got some guitar, one's got with the bass and, but it, it feels natural. It doesn't feel like they're mm -hmm. ticking boxes or, you know, I think they, they space those out. So you didn't get overwhelmed with any one type of instrument. So it feels like well-placed as opposed to calculated. Ah, uh, yeah. It, because I didn't really notice it until until you pointed it out, which I think means that what they did was effective. It didn't, it mm -hmm. didn't feel like, oh, we got to tick the box here. Now it's the time for the piano song. So I think that's, that's pretty cool. All right, so moving on to our next track, Splinters. I really like this song. Uh, there's a really cool vibe to this song. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of Cinder Alley in a way. And I think that it was actually interesting that there was this sort of pairing of Wafering Stranger and Cinder Alley with like a banjo tune followed by something that was a little more intense or in Cinder Alley's case, a lot more intense. And then again, here you've got the banjo tune in Praying Arm Lane and then Splinters, which sort of follows in, in sort of a similar parallel. So I, I really liked that in terms of the way the album's balanced, that there's some symmetry. I feel like uh, in this song, as it 
sort of opens up a little at the end. There, there was a moment that I would have really loved to have heard just kind of a, a guitar solo just to like kind of open up and let it rip a little bit um, just because I felt like that was missing. And that seemed to me to be like a good moment to do it, but it doesn't happen. So it was a unrecorded my desire there for a guitar solo. What, what was your opinion about Splinters? So this is the longest song on the record and it feels like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, though it, cause it does, it, it does build the tension, but it also releases it. Unlike a couple of the shorter songs, you know, most of these songs fall in about the three and a half to four and a half minute range. And this one tops five minutes. I don't have a ton to say about it. I, I think it's a good song. I thought it was just a little bit long. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it's, it's okay. I don't mind the occasional longer song, but usually there has to be like some justification to it. And if there's an interesting guitar solo that makes it worth that extra 35 seconds or whatever, it's like, okay, yeah, that's fine because that was fun or that was interesting or cool or something. Just other than the fact that it it does release the tension, which, you know, they don't always do. So Mm -hmm. I, I do, I did appreciate that. On to track nine, Just Like Birds. Little Johanna, girl of my prairie. Help me fill this house with living words Further up and further in Let them fly from our lips Just like birds Just like birds So this is a, a pretty little song. This has, you know, feels a little bit, I don't know, ballady. I guess mm-hmm. so. Yeah. It's the uh, it's nice. I th- I like the the central metaphor and how they're you know like they're talking to each other just like birds and and there's like these just little this little smattering of kind of almost Marshall style drums mm-hmm. that usually when you when you kind of go with that that that's something that you build a song around and this one is just more like it comes and goes uh, it fades in and fades out and I thought that was a pretty interesting choice because usually when you want that Marshall beat. You want that Marshall beat. That's what you're doing that for. Right. And here, it's just more like little, just it just it comes and then you're like, oh, and then it goes. <laughs> and I thought There's that was a snippet. Yeah, and I thought that was an interesting choice because it doesn't uh, it doesn't stick around, and they didn't build around that. And somehow that still works because there is so much interesting instrumentation going on that often you forget about the the percussion unless it's some kind of percussive element outside of the drums. And I think when you do hear drums on this record, they're really good. I think the drumming yeah. on this is fantastic. It's just, there's just not a ton of it in this style of music. So when you do hear it, it's like, oh, okay, I, for, I forgot that guy was there and he's good at what he does. And I think it, it's well recorded too. I think that they really recorded the drums well on this record. Yes, very much so. So like when you notice it, and a lot of times you don't, I don't think you, you know, drums play their part and you don't always notice it unless it's a really interesting fill or if they're not good, you know, as the old mm-hmm. saying goes, like, you know, if, if you're a singer or if your guitar player, your bass player has a bad night, they have a bad night. If your drummer has a bad night, your band sucks. So <laughs> being able to, when you do pick up the, the things they do here, you know, they're, they're, they're well mic'd, they're well recorded. It is, it is really nice. What did you think about this one? Well, first, just to kind of continue what you said about the drums here. I mean, I, I feel like it sounds to me like they wanted to make kind of a heavier record this time. And I think the drums was a big part of that. I, I feel like maybe I'm wrong, but I felt like maybe the drums weren't quite as front and center on sackcloth and ashes as they were 
on on this follow-up record. One thing I noticed, that there's finally an appearance of the concertina here, this accordion-like instrument, because it's sort of all over sackcloth and ashes. And I, I seem to remember when I saw them too, that image stuck in my head of him switching between like a pedal steel guitar, a banjo, and this concertina, that that seemed much more pronounced to me then. So it's it's a little bit surprising that it kind of finally shows up here and that it really sort of has its moment. But I felt like that was kind of a really big part of their sound. So it was a little bit surprising for it to not appear more here, I think. Here's a moment, this I, I marked down in my notes, that, you know, lyrically, he has this way of sort of using, I guess what you would call improper English. Um, hmm. An example would say, um, he says, he will never leave you my much afraid. He waits patient in our prayers unprayed. And so he, I think, makes up the word unprayed. Um, he, you wait patient and not patiently. But there's this vibe to that. And, and he does that all the time. Even just, just to go back to the first song from Sackcloth and Ashes, I seen what I saw. Yeah, And he plays with language in this way that I think really sort of adds to the ambiance of the band that the, that the lyrics like this way in which he's playing with the language obviously very purposely is a big contributor to sort of their sound and that's an example of that that i noticed there that i really liked this line he waits patient for some reason that it just seems to work for me so so i really liked the song but but lyrically i, I felt that like that was really interesting and it's just one example of what's sort of all over his lyrics. Yeah, I hadn't really picked up that quite as much, but yeah, as soon as you said that, yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. And and he does make some really interesting choices. And like I said, you know, there's so so many biblical allusions, and oh, it's, yeah. you know, I started to make some notes of that, and I just realized that then I would just end up you'd just be mentioning random words at every song, <laughs> uh, and that's just like it's got it out of the way. This is what they do. And I saw uh, a documentary with him where he talks about, for him, sort of God giving him a word or, or his lyrics as, as really coming from God. And he said, sometimes God gives me a word and it might just be obey or something like that or guilt. And I keep that word in my head and eventually over months or maybe even years, a song kind of then comes out of that. He said for him, you know, writing lyrics was a really challenging part of that. But it could be that, that sometimes when you mention that a word sticks out to you, it might also be that a word stuck out to him as well. And that song was based around that one word sometimes, is at least what he said said about his songwriting. No, oh, okay. I don't think I, I had heard that. That's uh, that's pretty interesting. So he it seems was interesting like a, for me too, yeah. All right, so let's move on to track ten, Nobody Except You. What do you yeah, think so this here? This is the Dylan cover. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I learned that this was uh, originally written by Bob Dylan and performed a couple times. There's a couple of recordings of Dylan doing it live, but never, I don't believe, a studio release of this song that Dylan did. I don't know. Did you hear something about Dylan 
doing a studio recording of this? Yeah, that was one I wanted to look up and I forgot because I don't think I've ever heard Dylan's version or I probably listened to one of the live versions a long time ago. I want to say that it ended up on a compilation record. So this is the first time it ended up on a full length C, uh, album, mm-hmm. but it showed up somewhere because obviously Bob Dylan just releases things like, oh, here's 36 records that I wrote last week or something. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, the, exactly. Uh, I, I think it ended up somewhere, but I'm not 100% sure if that's if that's correct. Yeah, and I think, um, I, I think you know, the lyrics here, obviously, because it's Dylan, you know, the lyrics are different. So there's there's something different. The melody on here is really beautiful. I mean, it's, it's more Dylan-esque, obviously, than 16 Horsepower-esque. So I think that there's a nice balance for this. Maybe I like if I was placing this song somewhere else, I might have put it a little bit earlier in the record that it falls somewhere in the middle. But yeah, I think I think it's a nice song. I think that they do a nice job with it. There's this sort of guitar tremolo that goes through the tune that I, I think it's a nice arrangement that they do of this song. I love his voice on on this song too. I mean, I think it's a lot darker than hearing Dylan or the, the timbre and the color of Dylan's voice. I think with David Eugene Edwards, I mean, there's just a darkness to his voice that makes the song really interesting. What are your thoughts about this? This is a beautiful, beautiful song, like you mentioned. And I'm not a, I'm not a huge Dylan fan. I like, I like Bob Dylan. So this is, I, I don't know if I would have necessarily pegged it as a Dylan cover right off the, right off the top. And obviously yeah, I wouldn't have either. You know, it's not one of his one of his well known songs, and so it's something that isn't even on a on a proper album, as far as I know. Because of that, because I don't think there's a ton of baggage to it. I think this still sounds like a sixteen horsepower song. Obviously, the the lyrical content is a little bit different, but not radically so. You know, so there's still a lot of the uh, there's you know church going stuff and it is. cemetery it's a song stuff. About Dylan's and, relationship with God. So yeah, so it's. Uh, it's a beautiful song. And when my sister got married, she wanted me to make a, a, a compilation of like a, a disc of songs that she could dance to for her first dance. Mm-hmm. And this is a song that I had included. Uh, but now when she got married, she already had a son and she didn't feel like, and she really liked the song, but she didn't feel like it was quite appropriate because there was already somebody else in the picture, let's say. And this is one that Tabrufka and I had considered uh, she didn't like it quite as much as I did, you know, for our first dance. So ah, I think it's okay. just lyrically just gorgeous, just a gorgeous song, uh, musically a gorgeous song. I like this one a whole lot. And I agree with you that I, I almost wish it was placed a little bit more prominently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can see that they, you know, the second song is an old traditional and then the second to last song is a cover. So I think there is a little bit of balance. I think it was chosen that way on purpose, I feel. But just because this is such a highlight, uh, I would have liked to have seen this maybe bumped up a, a couple of notches there. But I, I have you know nothing bad to say about this song. This is one that if I'm in the mood just for like sappy love songs, not even sappy, but just you know if I'm kind of down and I want to stay down, it's not unusual for me to throw on this one uh, in, in uh-huh. the midst of a bunch of other things. Uh, yeah, I like this song quite a bit. And just out of curiosity, what was the song that uh, was the first dance for your wedding? We danced to dance me to the end of love by leonard cohen oh okay and great we, song good choice yeah yeah thank you yeah so with the uh the the live version from the live album that came out i think in 93 it was uh, yeah and that's a beautiful song as well so that's the one that went out and we also on the wedding video we used as long as the grass shall grow uh from johnny cash and john june carter cash oh okay i don't know that one 
Uh, it's, that's a really pretty song. That was one of the ones that was on the unearthed box set. So he had recorded it, but it didn't end up on an album proper and was released on that box set just before, I think just after he died. Oh, okay. Worth checking out. It's a really pretty song. So that brings us to track 11, our last track, Straw Foot. I guess you didn't hear me when I told you for the first time. Well, don't you worry, it won't be the last. All I need a floorboard and a wooden shoe Step aside and let my lady through Hey foot, straw foot, Lord we laying down Hey foot, straw foot, up and back around This one opens up with that. I thought it was a cello. It's like he's sawing away at a cello, but you mentioned this may be uh, a different instrument. You said, is this maybe the double bass? I don't, it might be, I don't remember. I'll have to go back and listen to it. I, I didn't mark that down. So it sounds like a cello to me, but I, I it was, when you brought up that they, they use the double bass quite a bit, it could be, you know, with a, uh, with a bow, which normally it's not. So it may sound more like a cello just because it's being bowed uh, as opposed to being plucked. So, but it just opens up with that sawing sound and it's menacing as shit, you know, and there's some really interesting cymbal work. Uh, and then once again, this is a banjo song, as you mentioned a couple of times. And you know, we've, we've used eerie and spooky and menacing a few times, and that really fits for this song. Uh, such a great way to go out. Now, it's not quite as up-tempo as Clogger. Yeah, it's really quiet. It's pretty mellow. It's pretty, but I think it's still just a little bit heavier than a lot of the other songs, with the exception of Clogger. And I think just because of that use of the cello or, or a bowed bass, I think this really brings this album out in spectacular fashion. I I love this song. Uh, you know, I think that this album, like the the middle, can is a little soft at times, but you know this this album opens up well and it closes up just as just as great. With these last uh, two three songs are just fantastic, and and I, I love Strawfoot. This is just one of my favorites. It's probably my second favorite song on the album. What do you it's think? It's a about good it? closer. Yeah, I mean, I think it works well as as a, a closing track to the album, and I. Th- too. I mean, there's not, I, don't, I wouldn't say that there's really a weak song on the record, to be honest. I mean, I think that, I, again, I mean, I, I like them. I don't think that I can listen to them all the time. I think I, I really have to be in the mood to, to listen to 16 Horsepower. Yeah. But I think what they do, they do really well. So that brings us on to our final thoughts. You sound like maybe you've already tipped your head on some of your final thoughts uh, there. A but, little bit, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, anything, anything more to say? Yeah, I think, um, well, again, I, I would just reiterate that I, I really kind of have to be in the mood to, to listen to them. That, that it's, it's sort of like for me, um, like I can listen to James Brown and Bob Marley as well. And I'm so into it for the first 20 or 30 minutes and then i feel like i need to listen to something else that that what they do they do so great and i i really love hearing that but i think that maybe there's just a little bit of diversity that's lacking that sort of prohibits me from listening to their music all the time that i'm not a fan in the way that i am some of the other groups that i feel like i can listen to repeatedly and it doesn't get as tiring for me but having said that i mean i think that 16 horsepower is really unique in what they tried to do and i think that for me it, they're so cinematic their music is so cinematic and there's such an ambiance to it that i really feel like 
there's a screenplay out there that's waiting to be written, that's really dying to be written, that's going to have a, a soundtrack just full of 16 horsepower songs because there's really such an ambiance that I think that you could pull out of that music and turn it into something cinematic. That's really the impression that I have with that, that there's some kind of dark, slightly twisted film on the horizon that's going to be heavily focused on 16 horsepower. What are your thoughts about this record? And I would also ask maybe how you feel about sort of how this record sits with you and how Sackcloth and Ashes, because we talked about doing either one or the other. And I'm curious to hear what your opinion is of Secret South kind of compared to Sackcloth and Ashes. Well, I obviously we're talking about it now. I fucking love this record. I love that that little bit of serendipity that led me to this record. I, I love that there is that slight Johnny Cash connection. What made me listen to this record was a song that Cash had also covered. And, and, and it is a very specific thing. And in that way, it reminds me a little bit of Morphine, mm -hmm. uh, the band where they're just, they're very specific at what they do. There's something somehow very 90s about it while not sounding like anything else that came out in the 90s, you know? And just both of those bands are just really one of a kind. I mean, even other bands that have maybe a, a bit of a different sound, I feel, owe to a certain something. And this just owes to themselves. So this is the first album, as I said, that I heard by them and then went back and I picked up uh, Sackcloth and Ashes. I picked up, because I think there's actually one, This is because this is their third record. So I think there's one in between. Cause there is one in between. I don't know that record, actually. And I'm trying to, because I like that record and I can't think of the name of the record right now. Uh, and I even ended up with, because a friend of mine had had it or had put it aside and, and let me buy it. So they had like uh, their first they uh, had one e. called Low Estate. Low Estate, that was it. Yeah, so Low Estate, I think, was the one. So I went back and, because a lot of times I try to listen to some of the other records before I talk about that one, just so we can compare a little bit. I love Sackcloth and Ashes. Uh, I think Low Estate is good. And I also have the EP that they put out, I think even a year or two before called Haw. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think some of Haw ended up on Sackcloth and Ashes. And then the one that came out after this one, which I think was called Olden, or was that the greatest hits package? There was some Force was 2000, Folklore was 2002, Folklore. and then Olden was 2003. Yeah, so Olden was the greatest hits package. So Folklore was the one that came out after, and I thought that was just a little too mellow. They didn't do any, didn't have any of the, didn't have Clogger, didn't have Strawfoot uh -huh. uh, on it. So, I mean, I like that record, but it was one that I didn't listen to as obsessively as Sackcloth and Ashes and Mm. Uh, this one in horse and because sackcloth and ashes has like it that one opens up fantastically as well and just the use of uh, the concertina or the accordion throughout there's something where they, they there's times where they just build and it just has that moment where it just everything just goes and and it's a great i, I love that record as well but this, yeah, this one too. is just a little bit special uh for me just because this is the one that that led me to them to begin with so uh but it, because it is such a specific sound yeah you do kind of have to be in the mood it's not always you're not just going to just chuck on 16 horsepower usually you're you're seeking that out for a particular reason yeah so i thought it was cool that you had actually got to see them uh play live uh, multiple times because you were you were invested in that scene i thought that was kind of neat so i was glad that we were able to sit down and talk about the show yeah i, I know that i i remember when you showed me your list of bands to talk about that was one that sort of instantly sort of piqued my interest but i don't know that it would have piqued many other people just because as as we've already talked about it's just not really a band that's on people's radar yeah never never quite made it i don't know that they had uh because you know even some of the more 
obscure albums that I've done here where I talked about like Josh Rouse's 1972. One of those songs ended up on a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And then there's, no, you know, so there's usually some kind of, there, I don't think these guys have any pop culture relevance at all. So I was glad somebody chose to do it because I love this record. And uh, you know, now this season I'm, I'm putting in song clips. So hopefully people will get a, a better sense of what's going on with the band as opposed to just us talking about it. Yeah, I know that I think there's like a few bands that have covered them. Uh, Black Soul Choir from Sackcloth and Ashes. That's been covered a couple of times. Okay. Um, so th- there, there's a few people out there who are, who are really influenced by them or and, and are really into them. Yeah, I don't know I, I I did I wasn't a big enough fan to really know how big their following was at that time, but I, I do remember that they were big in Denver. Yeah, I mean they were on A and M Records. This album we talked about today came out on Razor and Tie in the U.S. and I think on Glitter House in the U.K. But so was Sackcloth and Ashes was that released on A and M? Yeah, so that and Low Estate were both put out on A and M. I think people believed that because they had such a signature sound that maybe they could have gone somewhere, but. Uh, it, not not to be, unfortunately. So not really. Yeah, I can see why. But I think if you would have found the right song and hit the right moment that, you know, that's a band that could have could have gone somewhere, could have done something. And sure. Uh, I said in the the singer, he's still he's still plugging away. So Woven Hand has probably put out five or six records. So mm-hmm. and I have who knows? Maybe maybe there's a pop culture reference still to be had from if there's any I, Hollywood screenwriters out there listening to this, like Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll watch that movie. You've got a winner about. there. It got to be some Appalachian horror film or something that it, uh, <laughs> you know, some kind of old West something, old timey something. I yeah, think exactly. Weird filters and something <laughs> yeah. a little avant garde, and and it could work. Somebody with tears painted on his face or something. I don't know. It's something. There's something there. I'm gonna. That's gonna keep me up tonight. So, all right, Paul. I, I appreciate you stopping by. So for my uh, my listeners out there, if uh, if you have not already, you need to check this band out. You, there's a good chance you haven't already. They're they're different. Give them a chance. Give them a give them a play. And if you're still here, I would encourage you to like, comment, share, rate, review, whatever it is you're supposed to do to make people notice your podcast a little bit more. I'd appreciate it. So I appreciate you stopping by. I appreciate you still being here, Paul. It's a pleasure as always. Looking forward to uh, our next show as well. So thank you for stopping by, and we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. You can find all of our episodes at lovethisrecord.com. Intro and outro music by The Ashes of Grissom. And thanks as always to original patron, Mark Evers.